in your bulletins today, um, there is this little half sheet. Um, on one side are the notes that go along with the PowerPoint, but on the other side, um, there's some writing on it. And because today marks the 15th installment of our series, it's also the last uh, message in our series called The Kingdom Manifesto. Uh, we've been on this journey for the past several months taking a look at uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and we've been in the section on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus taught his disciples about the kingdom of heaven on the side of a mountain by the Sea of Galilee. And so this is just, this is a summary list because 15 sermons is a pretty long series. And so um, with each of those, I've, uh, I've presented some kind of big idea um, that we get from the text. Um, it's not just me making it up on my own. It's something that we find in the text itself. And so with each of the corresponding sermons, here's the big idea from each. If you want, if you're interested in going back and reviewing those, um, we have all of these sermons on our website, florenceevangelicalchurch.com. It is a mouthful, I will say that. Um, but it's there, and you can spell it out because you have our bulletin, and you know how to spell it. So there you go. That's my, my introduction there. Um, now, today, almost like a capstone to everything that we've covered, today uh, we're going to be um, covering some material that pulls no punches uh, in the way it makes the clear distinction like Jesus has been doing all along um, between our expectations about God's kingdom and the way it really is. If you have the first slide, you can put that up. The title for today's message is Jesus People, and the passage we'll be looking at today, it's the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 13 through 29, and the big idea that we're going to be exploring together is that Jesus' people are made fruitful through challenged, faithful obedience. Jesus' people are made fruitful through challenged, faithful obedience. Now, when I was in high school, I would come home after church and turn on the TV uh, to some movie from the 80s. Uh, and if it wasn't interesting, I'd flip through the channels and probably land on a couple of infomercials that, I don't know, piqued my interest. You know, everything from food prep items to cleaning products, and there's always those fitness ones with some new technology that's going to help you look better, right? Have your best body now or something, some kind of catchphrase like that. Now, in our culture, the outward proof, let's focus on that, that last kind of product there. So the outward proof that uh, we typically look for in a person who we would deem physically fit is those much-coveted six-pack abs, are they not, right? Um, I'm not trying to lead anybody astray this morning, but thinking about, like, that's just, that's the mark of fitness. Like, if you have that, you have arrived. And so... One particular Sunday, um, I was flipping through the channels, and I landed on this product that I thought, man, this is too good to be true. And it probably was. But anyway, this product, this is what it was. It's this 
this uh, belt that you put around your torso that sends electrical shock signals to your abdominal muscles and supposedly works them out. The best part is you could be just lounging around, watching TV, reading a book, not actually exercising and get the benefits of exercising. What a time to be alive, am I right? And so it's, uh, it's just amazing. Now, the sales pitch was super tempting. I didn't buy it that day. Plus, I didn't have a credit card because I was a teenager. Um, but, and I didn't use my parents' credit cards because they chose not to have those active either. But I digress. So anyway, there's this machine. And it, it could do all of those things, but it wouldn't really solve my root cause problem that I have some habits and hang-ups with my eating and my activity level that don't support me looking like Brad Pitt, right? Or, or fill in the blank, you know, male person who's physically active and fit, right? And so among all the articles and books that I've read, really, it boils down to two things. Submitting yourself to eating the right way and exercise. That's it. That, that's the summary of all the self-help books. There you go. There, you don't have to go out and buy them now. But personally, so I've got a long way to go in that physical regard. And I'm not using this illustration as someone who has arrived or, you know, is somehow perfect, obviously, right? But I'm using this illustration as someone who, who sees that pattern and I think that it has something to tell us about our spiritual life as well. You know, for most of the people looking at health and wellness kind of material, they're looking for the quick fix option. Take a pill for it. Take a procedure and you will have the healthy looking body. All in your power and your ability to make that happen. And the other approach is really just cumbersome. It's difficult. It's not fun most of the time, unless you find fun in it. Um, it it's mundane, truly, to be doing you know, similar reps uh, over and over again. But that ultimately trains us in being health, healthy. And the same is true for our faith. Some people approach God looking for a religion that is a fast track to the good life. Um, and others are actually looking for some kind of a relationship with a God who loves them and hopes for them and dreams for them and walks with them through their process of developing God's kingdom life into them. So as we come to our passage today, um, this path of relationship was the approach that Jesus was teaching his disciples because they were so used to the culture of religion and tradition that the Pharisees were uh, continuing in their day. But Jesus was trying to tell them about something that was different and ultimately better for their spiritual life and to give them access to the kingdom of heaven. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at what Jesus had 
to say about it in Matthew chapter 7. I'm not in 1 Corinthians. Sorry, I have my bookmark here. This lovely Bible bookmark that I've almost filled out because it's near the end of the month. It's fantastic. If you're interested in one, we have, uh, we have some back there. Anyway, I digress. Here we go. Uh, Matthew 7, beginning in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock and everyone who hears these words of mine does not and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Friends, this is the word of the Lord preserved for us in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, the first thing I see in our passage today is that there is the way we choose. You can go to the next slide. Go ahead. Um, if you're taking notes, it's, uh, it's the way we choose. So in verses 13 through uh, 14, Jesus presents us with a worldview that describes two different paths. The first is called narrow, and this narrow path is described as being hard and that few people find their way onto this path. The second one is called wide and it's described as easy. And according to Jesus, many people find themselves 
on this wide, easy path. There is no third path. There's no fourth path. There's no path beyond that point. Jesus narrowed it down to just two paths. And like all pathways, they lead you to a place. And Jesus described one of, uh, you can go back, we're, we're not there yet. Um, he described one of two ultimate destinations at the end of those paths. Either life or destruction. Jesus claims that the narrow path leads a person to life and that the wide path leads them to destruction. And we should take note that the Greek word for life is the word zoe, which literally means life. It could be talking about the object of life, like how I have a life and you have a life and life is what we live today, that kind of thing. But then also in the Bible, there's this link between that word zoe uh, for life and the idea of eternal life and the kingdom of heaven. In the same way, the word that's used for destruction in the Bible is linked with the idea of eternal ruin, of eternal waste and destruction apart from God, like we read about in the book of Revelation. Now, what's implied here is this, that whatever your eternal destination may be, it's determined by the path that you're on. Which means that even though Jesus is talking about eternal things beyond our current reality, things we can't even fully grasp or imagine, all of that actually starts in the here and now, right where you're at today. And this is actually very helpful to know. Because by telling us this worldview, Jesus is offering to us a choice. We all came into this world traveling on the wide road because we're related to Adam and Eve and we inherited their sin nature and we were born onto that path. We just naturally, because of sin, we're on the wide road. And we can choose to stay on that road and it would be the path of least resistance. Or in light of knowing what Jesus was saying in this passage, we could choose to switch to the narrow road. That God offers us through grace, through faith. But here's the problem. There is a natural momentum with the almost 8 billion people in the world today walking through life, most of them on the wide path. And even if we believe the words of Jesus and we receive them for our life today and we conclude that making that switch is our best choice, this is where the rubber meets the road and we find and recognize that the narrow path is truly difficult. It's kind of like this picture up here on the screen that comes from the online 
TV series titled The Chosen. If you haven't watched it, it's fantastic. Um, I haven't seen season two yet, but um, the first season was knocked it out of the park. It was great. Um, but so here's this picture. So you have this school of fish, right? Or I'm imagining it's a school of fish. So you have all these fish. They're going in a certain current, certain direction. They're going with the flow, right? But then, uh, so that's, you know, most of the, the dark gray ones. They probably did that on purpose for coloring effects. Anyway, but then you have these, these few blue fish that are going a different direction. And something happened to where now they feel this conviction that no matter how difficult it would be to swim upstream against the current, they are endeavoring to go a different way than the rest of the fish. The takeaway from these verses is that Jesus' people, people who follow Jesus, right, they're made fruitful through challenged, faithful obedience. Because whichever path you choose, it's ultimately going to cost you something. Um, if you choose the wide road, and that is an option, the cost is going to be that it's going to keep destroying you and breaking you down. You just may not know it because you're distracting yourself with all the things that you use to cope with your brokenness and destruction. But if you choose the narrow road, the cost is that it will be hard. It will be a challenge, much like fish trying to swim against the current and against the stream. So now you can go to the next slide. We read this attitude of Jesus. We could go the narrow path like Jesus did as it's talked about in Hebrews chapter 12, where the writer of Hebrews says, who, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus walked the narrow road. He kind of, he pioneered that way for us. And he's inviting us along to make the choice to walk with him. The way that we choose, the path we take, it's up to us to decide. God's not going to force you to be a part of his kingdom forever. And so Jesus is telling you and me the truth this morning so that we can make the most informed decision that we can about our preferred future because ultimately he wants you to be in his future. Which path are you on this morning? <coughs> Excuse me. The second thing I learned from our passage <coughs> is the fruit we make. The fruit we make. Excuse me. God bless the barista who made my coffee this morning. Oh, I'm so, so glad for it. That was a long line too. Man, Starbucks is evidently, Starbucks and probably, well, all the coffee places in town, they're the place to be on a Sunday morning. 
and church, y'all. Churches, too. Anyway, the fruit we make. Jesus starts talking about fruit. Jesus opens this next illustration with a warning, saying, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Like most of the illustrations in this section, um, this passage, this metaphor has become a proverbial one in our Western culture to talk about <coughs> people who, excuse me, <coughs> people who seem right and innocent on the outside but inwardly have bad intent. It's a pretty dramatic contrast. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, this tickle in my throat. I'm sorry. Um, it's a dramatic contrast, and on the surface, we can understand it, right? We, we get that picture. It's even, I'm sure there's been some kind of cartoon made about it at some point or another, right? Wolf in sheep's clothing. Um, but with this dramatic contrast, what's Jesus really getting at here? As people who follow Jesus, we need to pay attention and we need to be careful about who we let speak the truth about Jesus into our lives. And we do this through the practice of wisdom and discernment. And one of the ways that we can identify if someone is speaking falsely, <coughs> I'm sorry, guys. Okay, here we go. One of the ways we can tell if they're speaking falsely is whether or not what they're saying is lined up with what Jesus said, with what the Bible itself says. Um, because all throughout... This Sermon on the Mount, we've been, <coughs> oh my Lord, I might need to cut it off here. Here we go. Um, all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we've been learning that the true message of the kingdom of heaven shows us that God works from the inside out, not the outside in. And so this way of thinking, though, was categorically different than what the scribes and Pharisees and teachers of religious law were telling God's people in the first century. To them, strictly following the letter of the law and all its interpretation as well, that was enough to ensure you entry into the kingdom of heaven when the Savior would come. The only problem with that is that religion was never meant to be the end in itself. Religion doesn't <coughs> fix the mess that's on our inside. It just tries to cover it up with behavior management, just like Adam and Eve did back in the garden right after the fall. Now, let's say you're listening to someone, and they're proclaiming the truth about God's word, and their talk is matching up with what Jesus said. Their talk is good. What's the next litmus test? The next one, it, it's clearly laid out in our passage is that we need to look for and recognize the character of their fruit, the produce of their life. And so Jesus gave the 
simple contrast of a good tree can't produce diseased fruit just like a diseased tree can't produce good fruit. And so why is that the case? Other than the natural way of things, really it's because fruit has seed in it. And before it's ever considered valuable for food, it's a reproducing agent for the tree. Here's this quote from uh, Howard G. Hendricks from Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, he said, you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. You teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are, which means that if a person's aim is to embody and express God's truth and God's goodness, they first need to experience being regenerated into a good tree, metaphorically speaking, right? That is to say, we need God to heal us from the inside out. Our sin nature is like a disease that each and every one of us has inside of us at some time, and it's ruining the produce of our lives, which is why we need God to develop his character in us. Our charisma may look really good, and we could try to put on a pretty good show. <coughs> but the truth is, charisma alone <coughs> is not enough to make you into a good tree or to make your fruit better. Really, what it takes is good character. We need to become good trees. We need God to transform us. Otherwise, in the end, like all the false prophets and the, quote, bad trees will be subject to God's judgment um, and thrown into the fire at, uh, at the final judgment. So after some reflection, if we think we might be one of those bad trees, what can be done? What can you do? Well, the first... When you see that, you repent. You agree with God and you say, I didn't realize that. I didn't know I was a disease tree, God. I didn't know I still had that inside of me. So you repent and you believe Jesus' word to you and you believe in Jesus' work for you on the cross. That's our salvation. That's our redemption. That's how we're justified before the Father, where he sees, you know, because of our trust in Jesus' blood to cover us for all our sins. When God looks down on us, he sees Jesus covering us. And so we are saved because we are in Jesus. And so first and foremost, that's step one. That's, I mean, if we never proceeded to any other step, that's the, like, that's so foundational, so pivotal for our lives. The next one, it's not in uh, some kind of workspace thing, but the next step, though, is that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to invite the Holy Spirit to come into our heart and life to 
transform us from the inside out. We need to come to the end of ourselves. We need to surrender control of our life to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I can't do this on my own. Just like in Romans chapter 7 where we get through all the do-dos or the, the I, I don't do what I want to do and I do do what I don't want to do. And we get to the end and Paul says, who will deliver me from this, this body of death? Thanks be to God, Christ Jesus, my Lord. And the very next chapter starts talking about walking with the Spirit. That there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And they keep in step with the Spirit. And I'm paraphrasing there. But anyway, as a reference point, we need the Holy Spirit living in us, helping us, guiding us into all truth for our lives. So that we can follow Jesus and walk that narrow road like he walked that narrow road. As well, And third, uh, connected with that point, is we need to actively and continually live connected with the Holy Spirit. We need to choose to make our home in Him and invite Him to make His home in us as well. Jesus' people are made fruitful through challenged, faithful obedience and the fruit we make is directly linked to that process of God building his character into us. Amen? All right. Third thing. We're trucking along. Those coughing spells, man, they just, they added extra seconds to my sermon. Here we go. Two more points. Here we go. Third, I see in our passage the place we have. You can go to the next slide. Next. Go ahead. There we go. The place we have. So in verse 21, Jesus makes this astonishing claim. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now the Bible also teaches us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We find that in Joel chapter 2, verse 32, and it's quoted a couple of times in the New Testament. And so if it's through faith in God that we put our trust in him to save us, what is Jesus getting at with this idea of bringing obedience into the mix? We can know that Jesus is not suggesting... <clears throat> any kind of a works-based religious system. We can rule that straight out. That's not how salvation works. And uh, that perspective would also go directly against what he was just talking about in regards to fruit. And so this, uh, so I believe, I would submit to you today that Jesus is actually saying to us here in Matthew 7, 21, that our confession of faith will ultimately be confirmed by not our words alone, but by our obedience to the Father. And so picking up again in verse 22, um, Jesus speaking says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So practicing good and even mighty deeds in the name of Jesus is not and will not ever be enough to gain access to God's kingdom. Only knowing Jesus. He said, I never knew you. They did all these amazing things in his name, and he said, but I didn't know you. Which really also means that they didn't really know him. And so, it's through faith that we participate in this gift of grace, this undeserved gift of grace through faith that was purchased with Jesus' work on the cross. Now, in Amos chapter 5, you can go to the next slide, um, God speaking to his people said this, I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. Now, there's a difference between the works that were described in Matthew 7 and what's described in Amos. One is referring to those sensational signs and wonders types of things, and the other is referring to religious ceremony and practicing things at the temple just to keep up the show that you're, uh, the appearance of being in right worship to God. But in both cases, the problem is that these people are showing that they actually don't believe God, that God would be enough for their salvation. And instead, they're trying to earn their place in the kingdom through their good deeds. And these people fail to realize that knowing Jesus is the only way to enter the kingdom. It's the only requirement for entry. But you can't know Jesus unless you're actively pursuing and participating in a relationship with him. It's kind of like the Bible also says in Isaiah 29. Uh, next slide. In God speaking to his people. These people say they're mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. The place we have in the kingdom. You can go to the next slide. The place that we have is possible only through Jesus. We could never earn our place on our own, in our own strength, because it's an undeserved gift from God. And the people of Jesus, we are made fruitful through challenged, faithful obedience, not because of the show of our religion, but because we know God and are considered in close relationship with Him. We are His people, and our hearts are close to Him. The fourth thing I see in our passage is that there are the storms we face. I was trying to come up with some images for these, and 
or you know, find them on the internet. And I realized as I was looking that it might be triggering for some people who are native to the coast. <laughs> so I apologize. But anyway, there are the storms that we face. So in the height of the pandemic, when the gyms in Portland started opening up again, my good friend Stefan invited me to come work out with him on the regular. And that was a real gift to me. Um, Stefan, if you're watching, I appreciate you. Um, because he is, he's smart about a lot of things, but he is crazy smart about weightlifting and training um, to get the most gains for your time in the gym. And when I was training with him, I had the most amazing gains that I've ever seen in all the time I've ever done any kind of weightlifting. And then the, everything shut down again. And then um, I don't have a weight set at home. And so it's like, well, that was nice. That was good. Anyway, there was this one day, I'll never forget. We were at Move Fitness in Portland and it was leg day. Never skip leg day. Um, but all the main equipment was being used, and so instead we started doing squats um, on a, a BOSU ball. Have you ever seen these before? They're, it, so I'll, I'll try to demonstrate. So it's like half ball underneath, that's what is on the ground, and then there's this platform that you're supposed to balance yourself on as you exercise, and there's lots of ways to use it, but the purpose of tools like these is to try to exercise the different supporting muscles that don't usually get used on other exercise equipment so that you get stronger and so that you're able to lift more and you know have better gains. Um, I'm pretty sure that doing squats on a BOSU ball, you know, you know, trying to uh, here, like trying to, to balance and everything, that's probably one of the hardest exercises I've ever done in my whole life. My legs were like jelly afterward. It was ridiculous. Um, but that, ex that was experience gained through that challenging leg day. And that increased my endurance in that season. And the same could be said in a similar way to our walk with the Lord. It's like it says in James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's another way of saying faithfulness. And yet steadfastness has, or, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Jesus illustrated these kinds of spiritual tests by comparing two people, the proverbial wise man who built his house on the rock and the one who built his house on the sand. Both men built houses. We're not told how good the houses were, but all things being equal in the illustration, two identically well-built houses. Um, both of them faced storms. The only difference was the foundation that they built on. And the truth is that in this life, Jesus is our anchor. And his words are the strong, substantial foundation for our lives. 
And should we find that Jesus is not our anchor, the storms wreck us because our hopes and trust are placed in unstable ground like a BOSU ball. <laughs> and when the storm would hit, our, our fall is terribly great. If our anchor is in Jesus, we don't fall. We grow, and even if we fall down, we get back up again, and he helps us back up again. But we don't ha we're not destroyed in that way. The words of Jesus, they give us strength to endure through all those challenges that we face. But it's not just knowing the words of Jesus, but progressing to the point of actually putting them into practice and following through with what the Lord has said, both listening and obeying. The storms we face can come in all kinds of circumstances. You know, they could come in strained relationships, a mountain of debt or some financial problems. It could be the death of a loved one, health problems, divorce, car troubles, the loss of a job, anxiety, worry, fill in the blank, whatever you've gone through or maybe you're going through right now. The troubles that challenge you and me in this life are many and will certainly happen like waves crashing against the proverbial houses. The question is, what are you building your house on? What are you building your life on? When you face a storm, the condition of your house will ultimately tell you where your hope is placed. And that testimony will either tell you that your foundation is strong or that it is weak. And according to this teaching in Matthew 7, the only firm foundation that will never fail us is Jesus Christ. There's no other. So Jesus' people are made fruitful through challenged, faithful obedience. And that is especially true in light of the storms we face this side of heaven. So where do we go from here? What, how, how do we move on from this series with, you know, all its big ideas and everything? I believe the challenge that we have is carrying this with us and letting it, letting God transform us through these truths being imprinted on the inside so that we don't forget them. Because it could also be, I mean, in storms that we face or, or things that we face in general, whatever we're going through in life, I mean, it could be the storm of temptation. To, and that could be whether it's those hot sins or, you know, all, all the, the typical, like, top ten things that the Bible talks about with sin. Or it could just be simple things that cause us to not believe God. To not believe that God is enough and that God has our best interest in mind. It could be those little things that, you know, oh, you know, I, it, it just shows us that we are not believing. And in that place, as we go from this series, I think the challenge really is that we carry God's kingdom with us everywhere we go.
if we're citizens of it. And the good news is that if you're not, and you're here today, and you, uh, you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never um, uh, accepted his gift of salvation, the invitation is for you today to say, okay, God, I will believe that you paid the, with your life to save me from my sin. I will believe that that's going to affect and change every part of my life and influence that. And yes, I will accept that. Will you help me? And you can invite him today to do that. If you're here today and you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, uh, I've been reading a book. Someday we'll do a series on it. It's fantastic. It's called Gospel Fluency. Um, and the, the beginning premise of the book is that we are all unbelievers at some time or another. Even those who have said yes to Jesus, there are still parts of our life that we still don't believe God, and we need to bring that into alignment and to repent of those things and to let God change us with his gospel and influence us. And so the invitation is to believe. And so I want to encourage you this morning as, uh, as we wrap things up that God loves you, God is for you, and God is righteous and he's holy and he does have a standard in his kingdom that is far higher than we imagine and we need his help. And so, today, let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll have the closing uh, blessing. Father God, I thank you so much that you are good. I thank you, God, that you have given us this hope in you, Jesus, that you have given us a firm foundation through these teachings that you gave to your disciples all those years ago. I thank you, God, that um, you have preserved these teachings for us today so that we can be walking with you and learning how to um, develop into people who look more like you in every area of our lives. And so, God, I confess to you the times this week where I didn't believe you and where I needed to be reminded to repent and believe the gospel. And for all of my friends here today, God, I ask that you would help them, that you would impress on them your goodness and your love for them. And that as they go from this place, they would see a difference in their daily life. And they would see a deepening in their walk with you. And they would grow closer to you and closer to your heart, Lord Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you are good and that we can trust you and that you want to walk with us. And so we give you this week in Jesus' name.
Amen.